Welcome to the Success IQ Podcast, the show for entrepreneurs who want to create and live an exceptional life. I'm your host, Jeff Nicholson, and this is episode 128. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm a specialist in performance and mindset, working with entrepreneurs all over the world, supporting them to be the best and perform at the highest levels in life and business. I do this through my one-to-one coaching and online programs. If you're listening to this episode in the car, cafe, maybe your home, or if you're lucky, somewhere exotic, my aim is for you to learn and implement the valuable lessons shared in these episodes. Remember, to be exceptional will require you to pause, reflect, and implement, but don't forget to have fun. This episode has been sponsored by Bartercard, which we'll hear a lot more about later on in the show. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are in the world. I truly hope you are having an amazing week. So our guest this week is Eddie Yun. Now, Eddie is a growth strategy expert and for the last 20 years has been a partner with the Cambridge Group. In the last five years, he's helped double numerous businesses from cable media companies to consumer robotics and standby generators, helping them go from several hundred million to close to a billion dollars. Eddie is the author of the acclaimed book, Super Consumers, a simple, speedy and sustainable path to superior growth, as well as over 40 articles in publication like Harvard Business Review magazine. Eddie has been a keynote speaker all over the world, including United States, Africa, Denmark, the UK, and Japan, and is now focused on helping business owners drive growth while maintaining a healthy balance between work and personal life. Eddie, it's good to have you on the show. Hi, Jeff. Thank you for having me. I'm very psyched to be here. So what the uh, two things, what the listeners don't realize is, number one, you're in Hawaii. Number two, this is a second attempt because technology has failed us. So, Eddie, can you give us a backstory of what's brought you to this point today? Sure. Um, I am on the big island of Hawaii, Just, and I'll, I'll tell you where I am, uh, which I'll set up uh, where I came from, uh, to celebrate my father's 80th birthday. So in Korean culture, so uh, my parents are immigrants from Korea. Um, the 80th birthday is a big deal, so you know our whole family is coming together, and uh, my journey kind of started in Hawaii because they were immigrants uh, after the Korean War. They moved to the United States, and uh, they, they picked, in my opinion, the best out of the 50 choices that they had, which was Hawaii, which is great. So I was born and raised there, had a wonderful time growing up, and um, ended up in Chicago for college. Uh, the University of Chicago offered me the most financial aid, so we were a blue-collar family, and that just kind of made sense. So never having been to Chicago or the Midwest, there I went and um, had a, a very difficult transition, as you might imagine. Um, and I, I think that the two things that come to mind, Jeff, are uh, things that people explain uh, snow to warm weather people, but they don't explain hail. And hail is a very different thing to experience than to read about. And so, uh, and that, that coupled with that was this whole idea of daylight savings, uh, I think I mentioned, uh, is not something that we do in Hawaii. So there is no changing of the clocks there. Yeah. <laughs> and so how do you get, how do you get everyone pulled that? Because like, obviously, I, I work on daylight savings. So we're lucky we even spoke because you could be an hour ahead or an hour, or I could be an hour ahead or an hour behind. Absolutely. 
Wow. Okay. Yeah, no, it, it, it was, it's just one of those things, right? It's, it's kind of those medium sized things where it's not quite big enough to be common knowledge around everywhere, but big enough to be disruptive. And, and so I, I literally thought, Jeff, people were trying to pull a fast one on the, you know, the, the, the guy from the Pacific ocean, like, Hey, let's see if we can fool this guy. Cause I, I, I could not fathom, you know, billions of people changing clocks around the world. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a trick. But there we go. <laughs> that's, that's what we do. And so it was dark in the middle of the afternoon, which I was unaccustomed to, and it started to hail. And it was the, the I remember it like yesterday, the sound of the hail hitting cars and sounding like it was the end of the end of times, I just thought was the most frightening thing. And so anyway, that, that was my transition to uh, seasons and whatnot in Chicago. I uh, ended up uh, taking a job at a consulting firm. And so I've been a career consultant. Uh, met my wife shortly after. So there we are in Chicago. We're not likely to leave anytime soon, but uh, slowly but surely, I've been uh, increasing the amount of time that I come back home to Hawaii. And uh, here we are celebrating my dad's 80th birthday. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. So you are a consultant um, and you are author, also an author as well. Um, I did have my book. It's Super Consumers. Um, mm -hmm. so, so what, so for you, what is, um, for you, you specialize in growth strategy. Yes. So, uh, I've been very fortunate where I did not have to look very far to find my calling and, and actually my calling found me is what I would say is that I spent the bulk of my career, um, at the Cambridge group, which does, you know, kind of focuses and specializes any kind of consumer facing industry. So it could be food and beverage, could be technology, could be media, uh, retail, anything that touches the end consumer I did work in. And I had the good fortune of, uh, they had a run where just kind of the, what, what I would say is, um, Back in one of the things about Chicago, Michael Jordan, you know, of the Chicago Bulls, uh, he had a trainer back in his heyday, Tim Grover, who was known as, you know, uh, he, he wasn't just a trainer that like some, you know, random person like me would go to. You had to be the best in your field and he would make you better. And that's kind of the way that I saw the Cambridge group. Like we, the clients that I got to work with were companies that were market leaders. Um, so Anheuser-Busch, you know, at the, in their heyday, one out of every two beers in the United States was an Anheuser-Busch product, and they had the world's largest beer brand, I think, much to the chagrin of UK beer drinkers, I'm sure, <laughs> was Bud Light and stuff. And so, um, or Gillette, which has a 70% market share worldwide, or even uh, there's a company called Insincorator, which is a garbage disposal manufacturer that has actually like a 90 or 95% market share in the United States. And one of the things that I realized was that traditional growth strategy just didn't really work when you had such a dominant market share. Like you can't really think about beating a competitor because that's not very helpful and it's very expensive uh, at that stage of success. And so what I really had to figure out was uh, in order for these companies to grow, they had to think about growth strategy a different way. They had to grow the category. So it wasn't enough to steal market share. I had to get more people to drink beer. Um, I had to get people in uh, in China, which was not a classic kind of shaving culture, so to speak, as a lot of con you know kind of legacy countries were, how do you convince um, Chinese consumers who don't have as much facial hair that they need to shave and basically take a sharp razor with, with which they might cut themselves to follow some sort of 
aesthetic personal care pattern that was globally accepted, but not right there. So th these are the things that I had to wrestle with. And that kind of forced me to hone my skills, but also forced me to write in a way because a lot of what the tips and tricks weren't really quite there. So I had to read a lot and I found myself having to write and put my thoughts down about how kind of would you actually figure this out? Mm. Wow. Okay. So if we, if we look at that, the, and you've said, you've mentioned a um, terminology calling, which you say grow category. Um, can you yeah. just go into that in a little bit more detail? Sure. So um, one of the things that the, probably the simplest way that I can explain it is um, nine out of 10 companies that I run into, I mean, everybody has a growth strategy, right? Like you, you wouldn't find a company that says, oh, I have no plan to grow. <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, not, no company you'd want to work for or invest in. How about that? But um, most companies, when they talk about growth strategy, nine out of 10 times, what they're talking about is, you know, Jeff, you're in the bottled water business and I'm in the bottled water business. And for me to grow, you have to lose. It's a zero sum mindset that they have. And what that leads you to, if you believe uh, basically that that's my primary way of growth, then I'm going to either outspend you, I'm going to undercut your pricing, or I'm going to copy your product and just make it cheaper, better, faster. And in a world where um, that happens and everyone's kind of, you know, people are competitive and you don't want to lose, then the real loser ends up being the end consumer who ends up with lesser quality products that are cheaper, that they're not really that excited about buying in the first place and stuff. And so the thing that I've really kind of found is that, well, uh, Growing the category is more, there's more emotional resistance than there is intellectual resistance. And that was kind of the interesting thing was that it wasn't so much that people thought it was an illogical strategy. It was, well, you know, Jeff and I are both in the bottled water business. Why would I make the bottled water business and help him out? Isn't he my competitor? And the reality, what, so my consulting firm, the Cambridge Group, was acquired by Nielsen nine, 10 years ago. And I got access to a ton of data, which was fantastic. And what I realized, kind of mining that big data, was that 1% of the brands in a category captured 80% of the category growth. And so, yes, it's true. If I figured out how, a way to grow the bottom water business, your business would benefit, but my business would benefit way more than anybody else. And in fact, that's actually the singular, one of the two best growth strategies. So most people try to split the pie. I say if you can grow the pie or create an entirely new type of pie that doesn't quite exist. And so there's been kind of, um, I, I'm trying to remember the brand, but there's a company that's been creating, or not bottled water, but canned water from water in Sweden um, that's been doing quite well in Europe. And I think that they're really kind of playing on this whole, you know, these entrepreneurs, they were in uh, some remote, you know, Pacific Island, not Hawaii, I think maybe like Fiji or somewhere. And they found recycled, you know, non-recycled plastic on the beach. And they were just kind of dismayed by that and decided we need to do something different. And that's kind of my point is that it's not so much that you have to create something entirely new, like inventing a new element on the periodic table, but you have to do something that is what I say, it's a breakthrough product innovation coupled with a breakthrough business model. Um, and if you can do that, then you've created something that doesn't really have a substitute. So that's when you know you've created something completely different. Right. Okay. So, so on this show, we've got, we've got um, from CEOs right the way to people who have just are literally just starting out. Um, is there, is the same philosophy um, 
or the same attitude with as you were saying um link can you link them right the way across the board or does it generally have to be the the bigger the company the the more they think that or can the smaller companies think like that as well oh great question it, it and i i have found that it is the question that you're asking is a litmus to see how how much of a real truth this insight is. And the thing that I found is that um, it actually does work across the board, no matter what role you are. So um, let's say, clearly if you're the CEO and you have investors and a board to report to, I will guarantee you, if you tell um, your investors, be it Wall Street or the FTSE or whatnot, hey, um, I have a strategy to not just grow my business, but make the entire category bigger. And between my research on category growth or the other one, if you create a new category, what the thing that I found, I wrote this in a Harvard Business Review article, that category creators grow revenues four times faster and their stock prices six times faster. It is in, there's no beyond a shadow of a doubt, uh, a better strategy for investors and your chairman of the board to say, oh, you have a way to make the pie bigger. Let's talk about that. And that's going to be quite compelling. So as a CEO, that's a no-brainer. If you're an entry-level person, um, what, the thing that I tell you, and I, I would tell this to anyone below the CEO, because CEOs don't like to hear this, but um, I, <laughs> I say that 60% of your business or your brand's growth potential comes from the underlying current of the category. So if your category is growing, more than likely, even if you're not the best leader or executive, your business is going to grow. And conversely, if your category is shrinking, no matter how good you are, you're going to shrink as well too. And that's kind of the truth of the reality is that if you're just starting out as a job and you're trying to pick between companies, the thing that I always tell people is don't fuss so much about your title, about your compensation, about anything. But the first and foremost question that you have to answer is, is your category, I'm sorry, is your the company, the job that you have in front of you, if you have two choices, let's say, is it in a healthy or a dying category? And you are so much better off taking a lesser job in a better category because, you know, all boats rise with the tide versus the inverse of it. So employee one to CEO always matters. Small business to not like the same thing is true because, um, you know, whether you have a lot of resources or if you have little resources, you know, the tide kind of doesn't, it doesn't really matter how big the ship is. All the boats go in the same direction. And that is the number one thing that you can do is either pick a company that is in the right category, or if you're already at somewhere, you have to make a pivot to a different category that has a better uh, trajectory than the one that you're in now. That's probably the most important strategic decision you can make. So have you any advice on how people can, change the pie or make the pie bigger because obviously i mean if we take my world mine's personal development world um mm -hmm. my my if you want the the ultimate pie or part of the big the big consumers of the pie are well tony robbins is up there and all the others and when you're coming from that small bit and you go in you go okay where whereabouts do i fit obviously you're growing you're growing your way so you look at how do i become you know, what part of that pie can I have, I guess, is in, in the analogy. But if, if you're looking yeah. at, if you're looking at, okay, start, you know, look at creating your own pie. Have you, do you have any strategies that could help people process that or, or look at that? Yes. 
Right. Okay. Cool. Absolutely. Is there any Absolutely. Can we, can we have yeah, a look? The, what I always talk about is the algebra, so to speak, of category growth or creation. Pretty straightforward. So you can make the pie bigger one of three ways or a combination of the three. Uh, you can add new consumers or users to the category. Uh, you can increase the amount of usage per person. Or you can increase the price per unit the, uh, of what it is. So kind of number of people, units per person, or price per unit. That's kind of the three levers, so to speak, that you can pull. And um, what you actually find is that, oh, wait a minute, I've seen this story before. So take video games as an example. Is, is uh, you know, when I say video games, most people think about teenagers in the dark basement you know, playing very violent games on expensive consoles that cost three to $400 and $60 games. And the reality is in the last 10 years, the total number of video gamers has more than tripled um, in large part because of casual games. And so what's interesting, it's not quite the shoot 'em up games on an Xbox or a PS4. It's the candy crushes or world return, all the things that you play on your smartphone when your plane is delayed or whatnot. Right? Yeah. And yeah. And, and what's interesting is that uh, the, the fastest growing video game consumer are women. They're middle-aged women actually. Um, that pay very little uh, per game because a lot of them are free or freemium, and but they, they play them quite often they, they, because it's not just dedicated time for video gaming. It's any time that I'm bored that I could be spending doing something else on my two to three hour commute back and forth to work or waiting in line, I'm going to spend doing that. And so what's ended up happening is that um, you, 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 my book, Super Consumers, kind of talks about a small percentage of consumers that kind of create the most profits, passion, and proactive insights in the category is that uh, some of the analysis is that 0.15% of the people who play casual games generate 50% of the revenues of the space. <laughs> you can believe that. And so, yeah, and, and it is crazy. And, and I think, I think from a personal development standpoint, um, I think it becomes, you can boil my three algebraic questions down to very emotional and humane or questions about humanity right so i always say the number of consumers lever that's the good old green eggs and ham question right so thanks to dr seuss is how can i convince someone to eat green eggs and ham and by the end of the story they're they're a convert whereas the whole time they were resisting it in the first place right and so I always find that great questions matter more than really good answers and that kind of this, my go-to is what needs to be true for somebody who does not participate in the category today to actually participate in it going forward. And, and my favorite example is Rogaine. So, um, you know, the, the very famous hair loss uh, treatment brand, you know, Minoxidil, you rub it on your head and now what, what and hair is supposed to grow back. What, what they don't, what they didn't realize was had they launched it, they launched it as a male hair regrowth product, which was actually bad um, in the sense that it doesn't regrow hair. It prevents and slows hair loss. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's not kind of number one. But number two is if they had launched it as a women's hair thinning prevention product, it would have been four times larger than it is today. And the whole reason being is that women are so much more disciplined about personal care than men, that hair thinning. Uh, is so much, uh, you know, unfortunately for society, so much less acceptable than a bald man. Um, and number three is that the, you know, the willingness to spend money and to stick with it, the lifetime value of the consumer is so much bigger. 
um, just because of the volume. You, you, you can see how that plays out. But that simple question of what needs to be true for a non-user to convert um, just really leads to very interesting discussions. And the same thing of what would need to be true for, you know, you have, Jeff, bunch of podcast super consumers who you know love your content but they probably love you know lots of podcasts in general and you ask them you know what how much time do you spend in totality each day listening to a podcast maybe it's an hour or two and you say well what would need to be true for you to double that amount of time two to four hours a day well you'd have to convince my boss that this was good for my personal development in my career oh well there's a way of doing that and the same thing goes true for the price per, um, you know like this is the question that I find people are scared to ask because people don't like to raise price but what I actually find is that if you can come up with the right innovation people are more than happy to pay you more for something that they've been desperately looking for <laughs> so you know these are all the things that I find looking for a great business opportunity Barter card franchises are based on an area model, and it's simple. The more business you generate, the more you earn. Owning a barter card franchise gives you the control to be your own boss, along with the reassurance and ongoing support from a world-class global management team. Franchisees grow their business by meeting business owners and demonstrating how barter card works, and how barter card is a key tool in the development of their business by guaranteeing to bring new customers increasing sales saving cash and improving cash flow providing the opportunity to fill their spare capacity or downtime and sell their excess stock without special offers or discounts improving profitability and providing an interest-free line of credit to preserve cash in return barter card provides a comprehensive support program including business planning templates office setup and support, regional marketing support, and initial and ongoing training. If you're interested in this amazing business opportunity, please contact Nadia Ruhi on 0800-840-6333. That's 0800-840-6333. But we're going to have to jump over to the second part of the show. So um, this is where I get to ask you a set of questions um, that I ask every single guest who comes on the show. And really, it's about finding common threads throughout. So the first question is, on average, how much time a week do you spend or do you dedicate on self-development? That's body, mind, and soul. Yeah, what, a, what a great question. So um, the I would say I am now spending anywhere from four to five hours a day doing that i think which which is so what is that uh you know almost you know 30 to 35 hours per week and so i probably and, and one of the things that i didn't mention up at the top was um i was a senior partner at the cambridge group and you know that to me was the pinnacle of my career and uh as a consultant you know you want to make partner and then you're a senior partner and this and that and i had written a book with the harvard business review i'd written a bunch of articles with them. I'd, I'd, you know, gotten some traction in the marketplace with that. All that was great. But then um, I had put on weight. I wasn't sleeping well. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it was just one of the, I had three children by then and it was like, this is not the, the trade-off that I wanted. So I did what I call a personal IPO. So I left my firm and because I, I wanted to do more writing. I wanted to speak, speak to folks like you because I, I, I figured the, the, the central question of how do I create growth 
um, was still miles away from being answered. And so I needed to dedicate more time to that. So I left to go out on my own. But this, this idea of being a solopreneur or, uh, you know, advisor was on my own time as a sole, you know, no, no staff, but I have contractors. Um, and I, I can be very choosy with who I work with. So back in my days as a senior partner, I had anywhere from three to nine projects at any one given time. And one of the things I feel like I have to have penance for is the consulting gig, like any professional services, is very much a bait and switch, right? Like you go to, you, let's say, Jeff, you have a pain in your side and you're scared. And so you go to a famous teaching hospital and, um, you know, you meet the head of surgery and you're excited and you wake up and it's a first year medical student standing over you who did your procedure, right? That's kind of the way it works. And I said, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so my, my role as a solopreneur right now is I only take one or two clients at a time. I do the work personally and they get that attention. But the thing that's kind of amazing is I get to charge a much higher rate. Um, it, it's kind of this in-between pricing. I am cheaper than I was at my old firm, but I'm you know, very expensive as a solo act. And that, that kind of high-priced, low-volume model allows me to spend more time. So I've been able to pick up exercise. I've been able to sleep better. Like sleep hygiene has been incredibly important in the last two years since I've done this. And um, I've been, I, I journal a lot more. I need to do more of that. But that's, that's probably one of the hidden things that I do, Jeff, is, is uh, personal journaling, but business journaling. Like what did I learn? for my clients, for my industry and this and that, because probably the thing that is, I would say, not only salvaged my career, but helped it thrive has been writing. And whether it's for a major publication or just journaling, like I, it's, it's a whole, I wouldn't know what I was thinking unless I wrote. <laughs> and all of these things on personal, like it, it, it's, I, I'm, I find that I spend, this is a time when I am planting and, and fertilizing more than I'm harvesting. And it's been incredibly important for not only my physical health, but my emotional and spiritual health as well, too. No, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. I'll be asking you about journaling later on. Um, okay, so question number two is, what book has made the biggest impact to your self-development or personal growth and why? Yeah, got another good one. Um, I'm going to give you, let me think. I'm going to give you a couple, if, if that's, a, I'm going to cheat yeah, a little no, bit. Yeah. <laughs> cheat a little, why so, not? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So the, 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 um, the idea of, uh, so Creativity Inc., you know, by the, you know, Ed Catmill has been wonderful. I, I, I think just to see the idea, not only to go beyond the scenes of how Pixar works and runs, but I, I think th one of the things that I found was that, I remember vividly, he talked about the, the tension that you have between business functions, so sales and marketing. Maybe they blame each other for different things or finance and sales or whatnot. And he described it as people think it's a tug of war, but you're actually uh, holding a rope, leaning backwards because you need each other's weight to counterbalance and that's how you stay up and afloat and that the tension is meant to be there. And the thing that I took away from was healthy organizations, how delicate the balance is, but that um, it was really kind of a, uh, uh, it had the inverse impact on me, Jeff, is that it caused me to leave corporate America because I was like, you know what, that's so rare and so hard to find. And I end up either on the floor or in a tug of war. I don't want to be there. And 
Um, and and, and I, I think it, it wasn't a book about personal development, but I, I liken it to I had a, a teacher in high school who was a chemistry teacher who used to play the cello and hadn't played since college. And we, you'd ask him the story of why. And it turns out he went to Harvard at the same time that Yo-Yo Ma did. And he sat next to Yo-Yo Ma in the orchestra one semester. And he was so despondent as to how good Yo-Yo Ma was and how bad he was in comparison to how good he would never be, that he literally quit the cello and never played again. <laughs> and so that's, that's kind of how I felt like the, the aspiration for great companies is so high in that, like, you know, maybe I'll go back at some point, but, you know, per, I love my life as a solopreneur, but that I think the, the kind of pinnacle of what Pixar was for me, ironically, has been the most important personal development thing for me. Of like, I need to just work on, um, I need to be a better uh, expert at what I do. And, and frankly, a more mature person around, you know, more secure in who I am and not feel that competitive. I need to win this tug of war or, or you know what, not disappointed if I fall in that tension there because I'm good with who I am and I'm good with where my family's at. And it, it was one of those, I, I don't know if that's a typical answer that you get, Jeff, but I, I saw that and I was like, man, I am nowhere near what I need to be. And I'm not in an organization that allows me to be that. So I'm going to take a different turn in my journey here, work on myself and work on my craft and my profession until I am ready for that. Yeah, no, I think I think that it's actually quite a common, uh, everyone has their own journey on that, uh, if you want entrepreneurial enlightenment or whatever, whatever you want to call it. But I think it's that there's books that can touch us that were supposed to be written as personal development books. Um, and I think yeah. there's... Um, you know, just like there's poems you can read and they'll touch everyone in a different way or songs. That, and I think at the end of the day, it's not, certainly the way I look at it is it's not what the message or how the message was given to you. It's what you can get from it. And I think that's the thing. And if, if, if it's a matter of reflection and then you go, actually, I need to make the decisions to improve my life, my family's life and everyone else, it's the best bit of reading you've ever done. So... Yeah. You know, and I think that's the thing. And I think um, I've seen the book. I've got it in my book list. I haven't read it yet, but I think there's been a couple mm. of people that have mentioned it. So it'll definitely go down in the um, in the list. Just quickly, you mentioned personal IPO before. I should have checked. What does that mean? Yeah. So um, so in, in what, what's been kind of fascinating for me is um, my work – Historically, I've done work for the largest, you know, companies, so Fortune 500 companies, and you know, my my track record is one where I've I've been in, I've had the blessing of being part of kind of eight billion dollars worth of growth for that my clients have generated in, in some part relation to my work, and one of the things that's been interesting is that you generate a hundred million dollar either new brand or new business or new product that's exciting, but in the context of a twenty billion dollar company, it's not it's not going to move the needle funnily as that sounds. Right. So now in the last two years, I've been doing the same skill, but applied to, you know, $50 million companies or, you know, a couple hundred million dollar companies that are either venture capital backed or private equity owned, and they're going to go public or sell themselves. And well, the thing that I found is that my skill set is so much more valuable in this context because of not only the sort of smaller stage of growth, but they're about to have a valuation event that's going to change a lot of people's lives. And so I think point, point number one, your skill set is 
the value that you bring to the table is radically different depending on the context that you have. And what I feel like my, and I could not serve the clients that I serve now today if I stayed at my old consulting firm, because, you know, just classically, you need to work for larger clients to generate the fees, to, you know, keep the happy and well-fed and whatnot and stuff. But like, and so my, the personal IPO is number one, find the right context in which your skills generate the maximum value, right? So you think about an initial public offering is a context where the market now says, oh, wait a minute, um, your value was this X in a private setting, but it's X plus Y in a public setting. And so I don't have one employee. I have many, several, you know, uh, clients that I work for and work with. And in the same way that you go public, you don't have one shareholder or a few, you have many. And that and in that context, you get the maximum valuation. So I've been, this journey has been so rewarding for me because I, I work, quote unquote, work in the traditional sense a lot less. I get to spend more time on personal development and my family. And the economics are just far better, ironically. But like, I'm such on the quest to say, there are so many more people like me out there that do different things, but their value is so much greater in a different context, probably in a smaller, more entrepreneurial one. And can I help them maximize their value beyond just the salary that they you know, capture at one company in the light there? Right, okay, okay, brilliant, okay. Okay, so we'll go back on, on cue. Question number three is, what app makes the biggest impact to your business or life? You know, it, it's funny. It's it's not sexy. It's the it, the generic Apple uh, iTunes podcast app. <laughs> yeah, no, no. You know, it's 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 the greatest university. I mean, that's probably the way I would talk about it. It's the greatest university in the world out there. You know, okay. it's free totally. by and large. Yeah, and 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 I, I learned so much from uh, hosts like you and so many other people. And and it, it to to me, it's yeah, that's the biggest life changer for me. Yeah, I really wish that when I was at school, I had podcasts. Because, oh, absolutely. You know, I think I think the thing is, is 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 one of the things I've learned with leaving school. And although I swore to myself that I would never, based on where I was at that time, I guess in my life, I was never going to really learn anything other than what I needed to to get paid. Um, and yeah. then I come through the second part the, into this new transition, and it's like, no, no, I just want to absorb as much as I can and I can choose my education rather than being told this is what I'm going to have to learn and I Absolutely. love the fact that you can do that and there's so much other obviously opportunities out there rather than just podcasts but it's it is amazing what you can consume and um, one of the things I'm um, love is Blink Blinkist Blink yeah. mm. love them because the fact is that I can see if a book is good enough for me to then go deep dive into it but I'm still getting the gems of knowledge from them without really spending yeah. a huge amount of time on it. I'll have to check that one out because I, I absolutely believe that um, traditional reading needs to be reinvented because there's so much great content, but it's kind of trapped with, you have to dig for it in the context yeah. of books that, to your point. So I, yeah. I really, I'll check that one out. That's great. Yeah, because it's, it's not, and, and, and it, it's not um it's not I, I can't remember how much it is i got i got a six month trial when i signed up for something called scribed um so mm -hmm. scribed scribed is really simple scribed is basically you pay a flat fee of 7.99 a month and you get access mm -hmm. to audio books uh, ebooks um uh, uh, um um sheet music 
and which is just a complete curveball, really, um, and some other stuff. <laughs> but it's but it's a flat fee. Where obviously with Audible, as much as I love Audible and I use them all the time, I'm I'm very cautious of what I want to spend my credit on. It just yeah. like and one of the things that you do is you get Blinkist. I think you get a six month trial for free. I am on it. So it just gives you that ability to just go. I think uh, commuting today, um, I listened to five, five books. Um, Amazing. And, just, and it's just, you know, you can read them or listen to them. So it just depends on what your perfect, favorite way of doing it is. So, um, yeah, give it, have, I'd be interested to know what you think about it, actually. Um, Please, but, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so question number four is <laughs> what's your biggest business mistake which turned into a valuable lesson, and what did it teach you? Yeah, um, about a third of the way through my consulting career, um, I got called into the chief marketing officer of a $4 billion food company, uh, his office, and basically called me to say, hey, the thing you recommended, we did it, it didn't work, we lost a bunch of money, and you should feel really ashamed of yourself. That's not what he said, but that's what I felt coming out of it. And and I was like, oh, man, does anything that I do have value? Should I quit the career? Should I do something different? And then that's when I started business journaling because I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back through every product that I ever did, remember what happened, a follow-up, and did the, did the client do something? Did it work? Did, it, did they actually make at a minimum 10x more in profits what we charged them? And I found that my batting average was about a third. So good for baseball, but not really good. Like I didn't, I didn't want it to be that. Like to, I, I couldn't look at a client and say, hey, there's a one in three chance you're going to make your money back and 10 times on this. I wanted it to be higher. And I, that kind of started my lifelong journaling process of what is it that I learned and wh what are the common things when there's a massive win for everybody. And I think the big lesson for me was that, um, you know, I, I, the more that I, uh, I mean, number one, a lot of serendipity and timing really factored into <laughs> success. So make sure that keeps you humble. But number two was just staying a part of um, the journey with my clients long after the quote unquote project was over was really, really important. And, and whether or not they were actually, you know, formally paying you or not, like recognizing that my reputation is on the line and I have to do everything that I can do, whether or not it, you know, you're being paid for it or not to make them successful. And I think that that alone has been quite remarkable. And the, the other the other bit that, that's been kind of interesting has been kind of the self-awareness to realize um, you got to kind of like your clients for this really to work. And that was a really interesting thing for me because I was like, oh man, this one client that I should get to know better and but we're really different. And the advice that I got was like, don't, don't worry about it. Like just spend time with people you like. And what's been fascinating is my, my best clients over time I hadn't realized this, but we're very similar. And the, the whole Myers-Briggs profile, we're, very, we're all INTJ slash P, like we're all the same type, which is very, I, I hadn't planned it. But when you like people and you click with them, then you're, it's so much easier to be invested in their success, which is ultimately going to be your success. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so question number five is, what are your challenges in harmonizing work and life and how do you manage them? Yeah, so that that's the whole personal IPO thing, <laughs> and and that's where I was like, uh, you know, uh, I have to 
how do I, you know, not compromise? I mean, we'll solve for the economics of your career later, but like basically what I said to myself was I am traveling way too much and I got way too much going on and I don't feel good about it because I'm not spending enough time with, you know, nine clients. How can you? And so the answer had to be, I just couldn't be at a traditional consulting firm. So I, I had to create and design my own career at some level. And what I realized was that I had been kind of preparing for this moment for 20 years was writing so that they built some expertise and have a track record and clients and testimonials so that I could say, I am going public. I'm going out on my own and I can charge what I want to charge. And kind of what, what I liken it to is, you know, a, a, a first class ticket from Chicago to St. Louis is what I charge versus flying business class from Chicago to London, right? A big ticket item. Um, but it, my projects are shorter, but they're at a premium. And what that allows me to do is maintain, you know, a comfortable uh, living, but, you know, without working as much because I, I recognize that the value of what I can bring can be done much faster, much more efficiently, like, right? And that um, that's the part that's been radically life-changing for me in that uh, I do travel still, but other than that, I'm at home. My children are in high school, junior high, and I'm there in the mornings. I can drive them to school. I cook dinner. Um, you know, I, we're, we're here for a good chunk of the summer in Hawaii, which is what I want to do, is that I, I don't, you know, it, it's not a question of do I have enough vacation policy. It's just like my clients know, hey, we can still work together, but he's going to be five to six hours, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. different than where we are now today, and yeah. that's okay. Just make sure you put your times back. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that's, it's, my, it, that's the bane of my existence. Yeah, <laughs> but that's the thing, isn't it? It's that it's that ability to realize that you can create your business um, to be as flexible as you want to be as flexible. Yeah. Obviously, depending on the industry you're in, but even sometimes you'll be absolutely surprised how flexible businesses that you don't necessarily think are flexible are. Um, and it, but through that, it means you can spend more time with your family, or it means that you can, you know, go to Hawaii and, and uh, enjoy the sun while the rest of us buggers are freezing to death and everything else. But <laughs> you know, it's I think that's the, you know, that's the ultimate dream of a, of someone who wants to start their own business. But they don't have yeah. to wait until they're, you know, it, they're making the big bucks. In fact, for me, it is. You want to create that and you want to carve the type of lifestyle you want to live quite early on in order so it fits together before your business gets too big. Because if you try to break free of something that you've already grown, it's a lot more challenging because you find it harder to let go and all of those sort of things. So it's just sometimes Absolutely. like working smarter. Absolutely. 100%. Okay, so question number six, what advice would you give an entrepreneur that you wish you had known starting out? Yeah, so I, this is one where I credit my buddy Christopher Lockett, uh, author of Play Bigger and Niche Down and the host of all your different podcasts we'll talk about is like, there's a difference between a small E entrepreneur and a capital E entrepreneur. And, you know, and, and, and there are different times and stages of life when one might be better than the other. And so, you know, people have, 
no, no doubt, if you want to create the next, you know, Google or Facebook, go for it. And that's the capital E entrepreneur. And I, I would say some version of what you're doing and what I'm doing is that lowercase e entrepreneur where, you know what, um, exactly as you designed, like, as you said, uh, in order, the, the way that I define success for me is autonomy. And if I can kind of dictate what I do with whom and where, then that's success because then I, I have absolute control over what it is that I do. And in order for me to have autonomy, it's, it's, um, this is my, my version of my lowercase e, is I have to be uh, able to command a price premium in the marketplace. And whether it's because I have some unique thought leadership or value add or contribution, um, I, I figured out that personal IPO or where my skill set has the most added value to various stakeholders. Or, um, you know, it, it, it's, I, I've got enough certainty around demand generation where I know that if I put articles out there um, that or, or when people call me and say, hey, I, I might be looking for some consulting advice. I'm like, yeah, I'll tell you the answer as far as I know. It's an uninformed opinion, and I'll give it to you right now. And I'm not afraid of it because there's way more where that came from because that's my job is to hone my writing and my thinking so that I'm always pushing on what's the latest on how businesses grow. And for me to share, like that's my business is the more I generate um, and get my my craft, my, my sharp on the ability to synthesize ideas about growth, then I can be extraordinarily generous in a radical way that gets people to say, oh, that's kind of weird. Why would he do that? But that allows me to um, charge prices that give me the autonomy that I want to get to with it. And that, and that allows me to design a lowercase e entrepreneur uh, life where I have very little fixed cost. And I think you're, that's what you were alluding to, Jeff, is that you know, if you can get a business where you have some certainty around uh, demand and you can command an expert and on, on, on uh, uh, premium on pricing and the, the flywheel of generating thought leadership is something you do anyway for free because you enjoy it and you have very little fixed costs then you can do this from wherever you want to do it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, how you want to do it. Yeah. I mean, so, uh, we had a, con I, my wife and I had a conversation just the other day. So talking about, you know, when she would like to retire and everything else. And I, you know, I was quite on, I said, well, I'll be doing this when I'm 85 years old, you know, I'll be doing this for 100%. as long as I can. you know, but the benefit is I can do my work wherever I am. So if, as long as I've got a phone or, you know, and with the joys of zoom or Skype or whatever it is, I can I can speak to my clients wherever they are. That it might mean that I don't go to bed and I have to stay up in the morning. But at the end of the day, <laughs> it means that I have that flexibility, and that's that's the thing that I love. Not only the job that I do, but also the ability of having that flexibility as well. Yes, they they will be prying our quote unquote work from your hands and my hands were dead and dying. That, yeah, that's the way that I want to go. <laughs> to yeah, totally. Yeah, because because I think that's also, you know, some people who don't love what they do will look and go, are you kidding? I just can't wait to retire so I don't have to work. But there's a there's a, a thing behind it. You look at people like Brian Tracy, Zig Ziglar, all of those sort of things, you know, they still get a kick out of what they do. And it's it's... It's yeah. like it's like a drug. So it's it's and it's a healthy drug, you know. So it's 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 yep. got no it's got no bad bad things attached to it. So it's you know apart from the the only bad e number. Well, the only e number you've got is energy. 
you know so i mean that's the thing is as long as you can do it you'll enjoy it and that's that's the point it's finding those things that make you feel like that and it doesn't have to be i know people i've spoken to people who get that sort of fun simply for driving a bus or or you know it doesn't matter everyone has that own special thing they've just got to take the time to find it um okay so number eight is do you have any daily routines or rituals that make a huge impact to your day uh you know i i have found that um swimming is really important to me and i i I, it, it took me a while to figure this out but like you know, just growing up in Hawaii, like I just spent an extraordinary amount of time in the ocean and I I can't always be in Hawaii, but um, what I found is that being in the water is very helpful. So when I do travel, um, I will make hotel choices based on whether they have a pool, even if it's a less convenient location, just because I know just getting in the water and swimming makes me kind of right sides of my brain and my, you know, it's, it's some exercise, of course. And I, I find that I do quite a bit of reflective thinking because swimming is boring. <laughs> so, you know, you, you're just there. I can't, I, and I have not figured out a, po- a headphone setup where I can listen to podcasts while I swim. Cause that would be, I might never come out of the pool if that was the case, but um, it's one of the few times I'm with my thought. Oh, I know they're there. I, I haven't found one that I quite, I know uh, my brother-in-law uses the bone conducting ones that, um, Oh, okay. Um, they're uh, he he loves them, and he that's all he does. He just swims lengths, but he'll listen to his music or he'll listen to something <laughs> while he's doing it. God love technology. That's all I can say. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So with with them, but also is as well as it's. I've got I've got a client who because um, we we worked a lot on self care, and one of the things was is he always looks for hotels that have steam rooms because that's mm. what he does at the end of the day. He he loves to sit in the uh, in his steam and just he he prefers it if he no one's in it, but he just prefers just yeah. sitting there being really quiet and just yeah. and just allowing himself to relax after a busy day. And you know it's yeah. it's they're 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 things that but the, the, again this is this thing is is you deserve that. It's looking it's that self care. You know you will pick a mm-hmm. swimming pool. Um, a hotel maybe a little bit further out because you are worth that little bit of extra. Yeah. So it's, it, and it's, and it, you know, and it, and it benefits you. So therefore why not, why not do it as long as it's not, you know, so day, it's a day you get there and all of a sudden you've got to stay at the Baj Al Arab or something in Dubai or something. Cause the only, <laughs> that's the only pool it's got going. And then you've got to think, hmm, that's right. Is it, is it worth it? <laughs> <laughs> okay context is king exactly um so the last question is the life lesson question it's our final conversational point this is where you get to pick a number between one and 20 whatever it lands on is based on a life lesson that i have learned over the years so please pick a number between one and 20 i will pick the number 14 14 be the real you so this is all this this as it says it's about being authentic and it's about embracing who you really are rather than the facades that we or um could sometimes be guilty of and you know it's that it's that challenge is it sometimes is as we're doing it because fear or wondering if people are going to judge us or we per- perhaps may not have that emotional intelligence that allows us just to go 
this is who I am. You either like it or you lump it. Um, but there's that really important message for, you know, embracing your natural talents, following your passions, doing the things that you love to do, standing up for your beliefs and values, and just be real because it, there's a lot less energy expelled when you're you than when you are trying to become be someone else who you're not. And I just wondered what you thought about that. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's, I think it's so critically important because I mean, the, the, the part that um, probably the great tension of being the real me has been around my career and family and, and at, at some level, cause like, I, I think about like, um, so when we had two children and my wife and I were, we were actually having a long heated discussion, maybe argument about whether or not we should have a third child. Cause I, I grew up with just man, my brother and I, but my wife grew up with three or as one of three. And I, I was up for partner and it was like, well, I, I kind of want to do this. And it was kind of set up falsely as a either or like, well, you can choose to have a career and be a partner or be a good dad and a good husband. And I was like, oh, that's, that's not good. And the thing that I realized was, you know what, I think I can be creative about if I can become not just the, the partner and title, but an expert truly in the outside world, then I can control and dictate, you know, that autonomy idea that we talked about and, you know, have some freedom around that and be, and have kind of both. And then the other bit that happened was, um, you know, so I left, uh, that, 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 that kind of sparked my search and quest for autonomy so that I could have both my family and my career. But, um, two years ago when I left to do the soul for nursing, which has been great, uh, a year into that, my my daughter, my middle daughter Audrey, uh, wrote a book for her English class called Joy. Now this is kind of funny in that uh, her English teacher calls me up or sends us an email and says, "Hey, um, your daughter Audrey in my sixth grade English class, she wrote a story. I think you ought to really publish it. This is really something different." And I was like, oh, "I'll take a look at it and see." And and Jeff, the story is about um, a workaholic father who gets pursued by a yellow balloon who leads him to realize that he's about to lose his family and because he cares about his work and money too much. <laughs> and so I know I, I'm like, why would I want to publish? This? <laughs> and so, and so I, I go to my daughter and I'm like, Hey, um, this book about me and she's like, no, no, it's not about you. And then I'm like, so I, I tell my friends that and they're like, well, what is she going to say? Of course it's a value. Like, how, how could it not be a value and stuff? And now no, she, she will, to this day, deny that it is about me. But I, I think we'll find out maybe 20 years later and $1,000 of counseling if it was or wasn't. But my, my only saving grace is that it happened a year after I left my job to get this great balance and autonomy that I have now. And kind of what I've come to terms with is that it, it, it's, a, it's a book that we – it is out on Amazon now was just released uh, on July 2nd and um, I've been promoting it just because you know this is kind of what has been necessary this tension going back to that Ed Catmull uh, creativity ink book about career and family and that it's not a tug of war it's we're holding each other up in that you know, the fact that my, I have to explain to people my daughter wrote a book about a workaholic father who almost loses her family his family that, you know, 
it's a good conversation for people to have and that I have friends who are having their seven-year-old children read it to them. And my hope is that it sparks a conversation because it's something that I've clearly thought about. And I'm like, you know what? I wouldn't be the real me if I said, oh, forget my career. I'm just going to be a family man. Like there's something inside of me that would die. And clearly the inverse would be true if I chose the other way. And that it just took all of my creative energy and serendipity and fortune and blessing to figure out a different path that I'm on now that I, I'm so grateful for. And, you know, in, in hindsight, like, I, I don't know why, you know, she wrote the story that she did. And I'm not even sure why, we, you know, we, we kind of push it over the finish line to get it published and stuff. But it's, it's my hope is that it sparks some conversation around people to say, uh, is this me? Could it be about me? Um, and what do I have to do to prevent this from happening? But how do I do this in a way that, you know, doesn't compromise who I am as a person as well, too. No, and that, that makes sense. I mean, I think, um, you know, the whole the whole reason I do what I do is because of the stuff I didn't do that ended up causing massive, massive, well, t t in some ways, destruction in my life for a se several years and certainly upheaval the family. I do this because I don't want people to go through the same stuff I went through. And if they can learn from a couple of things and it stops them from going down that path, then the message, it's a bit like, you know, we were talking about just before the messages that sometimes they come in very strange ways. It's the same yeah. thing, you know, that, that, that story in itself may be um, the Pixar story for you. So it's, it, I think it's, it, mm -hmm. it's amazing how we can, take things off and it just gets people to listen. I've worked with um, CEOs of very, very successful companies and they haven't realized that their relationship was destroyed until they came home and their, mm -hmm. their partners weren't there. Or they sit there and wonder, why am I, why am I so disconnected from my family? Because mm -hmm. I'm actually out there trying to make the business successful in order to give my family the life that they want, but ultimately they actually want to spend time with them. But it's because they're right. so, folk, you know, and these challenges come up and it's, it's if we're not listening to them in some way, mm -hmm. shape or form, we're not, we're, we're not paying, we're, we're not going to pay attention. And sometimes that pain is the bit that goes, you know, we are either move towards or move away. Um, it yeah. is that thing that goes, oh, okay, snap, snap out of it. Or what do you think? And even if it gets you to contemplate and reflect, if you're a journaler in that way or a meditation or something else, then, you know, maybe it just snaps you across the head a little bit and goes, okay, what am I doing this for? And is it the, am I doing yeah. it the right way? The, the, the ultimate mission may be completely correct. You know, ultimately, yeah. majority of entrepreneurs that I've ever known or worked for or worked with have gone, I'm doing this because I want to give myself and my family a better life. Um, and I'm moving away from being trapped in a job that I'm going to be ill or it's going to put me in the grave from. You know, so yeah. the mission is the, 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 their idea is correct. Their vision gets them stuck because they're doing the same habits they've done when they were in corporate. Or when they're employed, yeah. and it's learning new skills, and sometimes it's that message that just goes, bang. Okay, this is I need to pay attention and change.
just because you did that in corporate doesn't mean that you have to do this in your new entrepreneurial lifestyle business, whatever you want to call it. It's this is the, these are the moments that you can go. Actually, I don't have to do it that way. It's just I used to yeah. do it all the time, and I think that's the important thing. So I think the 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 the, the thing that your daughter did with the story, you know, is is lovely but painful at the same time, isn't it? <laughs> Yes, yes. Well, I, I, I think you captured it correctly. Is the, the true value in life are the things that are lovely and painful at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's it and it's you know it's we sometimes have to make those hard priorities. You know, if we've got big big yeah. projects on, or um, if we've got something else on, I have sometimes gone. No, I can't do that, family, because I've got this really important project I need to get done and completed. Um, or, yep. and what we have to be careful is, is that we're not creating the deadline, um, just on this obscure date. It's something that needs to be achieved at this date. Or sometimes I've gone, actually, I can't work with you today because I'm actually going to a sports day with, to watch my kids do something, or I'm going to go and I'm taking the family out today. And, and, and it, it might, you might feel gut wrenching on either side because there's a pull on both, but sometimes you've just got to make mm-hmm. those decisions and go, uh, you, you, sometimes you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, but you just That's have right. to make a decision and make a priority. And sometimes one's going to win over the other. Well, I think, I think that gut wrenching tension is, I, I think the choice is to live in tension now to mm. avoid the consequences of tension gone wrong when it rips later on. In life. Totally. <laughs> so, totally. Yeah, totally. And, and the other thing is, is I think the I remember, I remember when I got, um, my, the the first bout of meningitis and I remember um not knowing what the hell I had at the time and I just remember um collapsing and I honestly hand on heart thought that was it my number my ticket had oh been my goodness. that was gone I remember the anger that was going in me at that moment in time going I should have said this to the kids I should have done that mm-hmm. with the kids and you know the the guilt within that millisecond of that feeling was all about this is what I should have done should have said um, and it was it was crazy and you look at it and go for what what why didn't I do that because I had to get another purchase order done or another order written or whatever it else and it ain't worth it it's but we've got to have the foresight the awareness and the emotional intelligence to listen and as you say you do journaling. So journaling is a way for you to reflect, whether it be business or personal journaling. It's a way for you to write, get your thoughts down, take a step back and reflect and going, hang on, am I doing it the right way? Can I do it better? And just be prepared. At least that's the way I look at it anyway. It, it, yep. is, there, is there ways that I can do it better? Documenting your mistakes from a, from a beneficial point of view, as in I did this, but hang on, this is how I can change that. We yeah. do, we should, you know, from a life point of view and a life lesson skill, that's they're invaluable. We've just got to pay attention to it. Yes, yes, absolutely. Harvest, harvesting your mistakes, one of the greatest sources of wealth totally. and wisdom, but totally. people don't want to go that. No, not at all. They've got to have courage. Um, and you know, and it's uh, luckily we're moving into that. Well, hopefully, for for many people, we're moving into that where people more are embracing personal development and self growth yeah. and and self intelligence rather than the old, you know, 
um, command and control way of doing things. But, you know, only time will tell for those enlightened people. <laughs> so, I agree. So anyway, here endeth the lesson. Eddie, um, just we're going to take a time now out for you to, the floor is now yours. Tell us how we can find out more about you. Tell us where we can get hold of your book. Um, please take it away. Sure. Um, you can find me. Uh, my website is uh, eddiewoodgrow.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Eddie would grow. Uh, and then in my book, my book, super consumers, you can find it on Amazon, but I would encourage you to find my daughter's book first, uh, joy by Audrey Kai Yoon also on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, all the major booksellers. Um, I, I, cause I, I think that's the more important conversation, um, that is universal for everyone to figure out whether it's your own children or your own parents and you have those conversations before, as you said, Jeff, your ticket is punched with it. Um, mm. But then, you know, I, I think it's all part of the same narrative of eventually, I think, you know, the my contribution to the world will hopefully be some version of what I can bring to help you grow your business, but also uh, in a way that doesn't compromise the, you know, the most critical relationship in your in your life, uh, which will be your family and, and your friends there. So that start with my daughter's book and then um work through I the volumes that that'll lead to a lot of, exactly <laughs> <laughs> eddie thank you so much and i'll make sure that all of that stuff is on the show notes as well including your daughter's um book as well and it just gives me this final opportunity just to wish you the greatest success and um have a, an amazing day in hawaii not that you've name dropped that a few times during the interview <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. This was a wonderful opportunity, and I, I will absolutely have a, a great time uh, just for you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Take care. Thank you. First of all, let me just say a huge and massive thank you for joining me today. It's lovely to know you're listening. I really appreciate the support. If you would like to know more about me, the services I offer, how to connect with me on social media, then please visit www.successiq.co.uk. Remember, if you're interested in learning some great strategies that I teach or want to be part of the amazingly supportive community where you can find lives, Q&A sessions and other great educational empowering resources, then take action and search for Success IQ Alliance on Facebook and join this brilliant group. It would be lovely to see you there. You can tune in and listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud and TuneIn and of course iTunes. And if you have enjoyed the show and have the time, please leave a rating and review because it really does help me grow the show and make the impact that I'm aspiring to do. I wish you the greatest success and remember, don't settle for mediocrity. Go out there and create and live the exceptional. Have a lovely week and remember, just one conversation can create a lifetime of results. See you next week. <laughs>